Hello and welcome to the Massive Attack Podcast 2022, 12 days of a Christmas specials. That's right, I'm here with another guest host, a friend of mine from my very first podcast. This has been a long time since we've shared mics together. We've shared other things, but just not mics for a while. And yes, my... It's disappointing that I'm not Monty, isn't it? That's what you're trying no, to say. No, 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 I'm not disappointing at all. But no, um, yes, from the back... Oh God, how many years now? At least 12. It was a long time ago. Yes. From the Shooting the Pooh podcast, my very first podcast, um, one Mr. David Hoskins. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Mitch. That's right. So, we're this here. This is very weird for me, by the way. I've not done this in a long time. That's okay. Yeah. You, you're a professional. You were on the radio. I was. You were. That's, that's a long time ago, too. Yeah, that was a long time ago. <laughs> yes. For, 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 to talk about that, you were you used to review films for... Blind people. Yes. Which was, I remember even at the time when I got the job, I'm like, hang on, hang on, hang on. So I'm going and I'm watching movies and I'm going to come and talk to, it was Vision Australia Radio, which is radio for the blind or, you know, the, the sight impaired. And I'm like, are we, is this just not going to be me taunting them like every mm. single time? Like, hey, I went out and I saw a film. Mm-hmm. What can you definitely not do? Um, and it was explained to me very, uh, sensitively that there is a spectrum of blindness and apparently uh, a lot of people who are legally blind, they will go along to the movies Mm -hmm. because the image is so big that they can't actually take it in. And I was like, oh, okay, well, sure. All right. Um, yeah. So after that, my ethical qualms were assuaged. So. What I do with all my praying is I ask them questions to get to know you that little bit more. I know you, obviously, but my listeners don't. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to ask you some questions to get to to know you and your Christmas. Sure. let's get going. And what is your favorite Christmas song? See, I haven't prepared anything for this. And you know the worst thing? I've immediately thought of Mariah Carey's All I Want for Christmas. That's your answer now. You're done. That's locked in. I'm sorry. It's not actually my favorite, but... That's the one that I thought of. <laughs> Which I think it's I feel like I'm hooked up to a horrible lie detector here. <laughs> it tells a lot of people. Uh, can you describe your perfect Christmas morning? How how honest should I be here, Mitch? <laughs> um, oh, actually, you know what? You know what? Here's the thing. Um, I used to be a bit hard, bar humbug about Christmas, but having kids, it's different. I mean, we actually had the neighbor's kid come over today and she's a one year older than Molly and she's starting to go, I think it's your parents that bring the presents and I think it's your parents that move around the elf on the shelf. And Molly's, she actually dragged her into my bedroom and said, Dad, you have to tell her how the elf on the shelf really moves. And I'm like, I'm just looking at this other kid though. I'm like, don't you fucking ruin this. Don't you do that. So I'm actually kind of digging Christmas now with the kids watching them, you know, it's corny, but like the wonder, like they still believe in that shit. And that's, in a lot of ways, it's a beautiful thing. So yeah, that. Perfect. And do you have any favorite Christmas foods? No, I don't. Um, Hopefully some kind of decent roast, but these days, last bunch of Christmases, it's all just been barbecue. So, which is fine. Hmm. And when does your tree go up and when does it come down? Well, I haven't had a proper tree for a long time, uh, so it doesn't go up. Doesn't go up? Yeah. (laughs) Okay. And is there a stressful part of Christmas, or what is the most stressful part of Christmas for you? All of it. (laughs) (laughs) But, but, ah, look, you know, it depends on your family. If you get along really well with your family, I'm sure Christmas is great. If you are, ooh, let's say, maybe the slightly black sheep of the family who has slightly different political beliefs to maybe the rest of your family, yeah, sometimes that can get a bit stressful. I remember having a very long, quite drunken Christmas Eve discussion about whether or not Trump was going to win in 2016. And you know what? I was right, motherfuckers. So weren't yeah. happy about it, though. No, I wasn't. <laughs> Just clarifying. <laughs> yeah. I mean, look, I don't think they were all that happy either. But they were like, Dave, Dave, there's no way they're ever going to, you know, elect a game show host as president of the United States. That would be crazy. Even the Americans aren't that, you know, mm-hmm. stupid. But yeah, unfortunately. Okay, do you have a favorite Christmas movie? Yeah, I do. I think. 
The Nightmare Before Christmas gets better and better every year. I remember seeing that when it came out. And at the time I was like, this is a great movie, except for all the bloody singing. And now I'm like, this is a really great movie, period. Yep. Um, because, yeah, the, the music is pretty unimpeachable. But it's not something I really put on a lot. So I'm going to go Lethal Weapon. Yeah. Yeah. Black. Well, look, any Christmas movie that starts with a coked out hooker, you know, with her boobs out, jumping out of a building, that just screams. It's Christmas. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. It's beginning to look like Christmas. Uh, do you have any unique family traditions? No. No. That's the short answer. And do you do anything special on Christmas Eve? Special? No. Apart from probably wrapping, wrapping presents frantically. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. And was there ever one Christmas present you really wanted as a kid, whether you got it or not? Look, I was at the right age when the Star Wars action figures were the big thing. Mm-hmm. And, like, I probably got one or two, which was obviously good, but I wanted more, Mitch. Yes. I wanted all of them, and I didn't get them. Well, I mean, Star Wars figures were something you might get throughout the year, but it was yeah. always the vehicles, like the big box stuff. Mm. That was a Christmas birthday sort of event. There was and a, that was that There was like a, a carrier thing that you could get with all of them at that point. Like, this is before Return of the Jedi, where it just got unmanageable. Like, mm-hmm. there's just no way, you, unless you were, I don't know, one of those really rich American kids, you just couldn't get all of them. But yeah. Yeah, I thought up Star Wars and Empire, there was just enough that you might conceivably collect enough, but yeah, never happened. And there was always that one kid who got them all. The yes. other kid. Yes. You didn't. Yes. I thought that was my cousins. Yeah. They got everything. There yeah. were two boys in that family and they doubled up. Yeah. It's wrong. Mm. It's an injustice and it should be revisited. If you could travel anywhere to celebrate Christmas, where would it be? Uh, anywhere. Anywhere. Any when, if you want, going on tonight's topic. In time and space? Mm. Uh, I don't know. Maybe this says something about me. When Grant Morrison, you know, the all-star Superman issue where he takes Lois to the moon? Mm. Christmas on the moon. Why not? Okay. Yeah. Why not? Let's do it. If you were Santa, what cookie would you like left out for? Something laced with drugs. Oh, okay. (laughs) Because I'm a diabetic. I'm not really allowed to eat the cookies. Have you cracker? Well, yeah, I've got, to, I've got to tell you that uh, my Christmas treat is I get to eat the reindeer's carrot. That's what I get. Hmm. Um, let's leave something out for the for the reindeer, Molly. Let's do that. Dad, I can't eat the goddamn chocolate cookie. Mm-hmm. And where did Santa leave his presents? Your presents? Uh, are we talking back in the day? Or yes, now? back in the day. It changed a bit because I know we definitely had, like, they weren't stockings, they were bags. Yeah, we had sacks. Yep. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah, so that definitely happened. I'm just trying to remember whether he put some under the tree as well. He might have. I know. I mean, the thing is now, it's all cyclical. Like, all of the stuff that, I, you know, my parents must have been doing, yes. like, drinking the beer and mm-hmm. eating the, all that shit. You know, now I'm doing that. And you know what, like, you kind of get a kick out of it. Um, like, Molly has been campaigning for the Elf on the Shelf. Like, yep. all in the wake up, she's like, geez, I'm really looking forward to the Elf on the Shelf, Dad. And I'm like, oh, Christ, where did I put the fucking Elf from last year? <laughs> and you've got to remember to move it every time. And she comes to you with this terrible moral quandary. She's like, Dad, I didn't touch it with my hand. Yeah. But I was looking at it really closely. My hair touched it. And I was, and I'm just there going, oh, that's a pretty big infraction. The elf, <laughs> might, the elf, the elf might really crack. Yeah, we totally forgot about it too. And yeah, my kids yeah. are like, oh, we're going to get see Ethan tomorrow. It's like, who's Ethan? Is it called Ethan? Well, no, we've got, you've got one the, of the Cohen brothers. No, we've, the it's elf. a different elf. It's a different, it's a different brand. It's not the famous elf on the shelf. It's, I think, an Aldi version. Um, and it came with a name. You got a book, and it's like Ethan. So they're all like, oh, I'll see Ethan tomorrow. I was like, who's Ethan? The elf on the shelf. I was like, oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I was like, cool. Thanks yeah, for he'll be us. here as long as you've been good. Like, that's the out that you can have. Mm. Like, oh, there's been tears before bedtime a couple of times when I've forgotten to move the elf mm. at night. And you, see, this is the point where my daughter is probably about to walk in and go, Dad, I'm anyway, um, after that fucking kid next door has already planted the seed. Mm. But, yeah, there's been a couple of times where I've forgotten to move the elf and Molly blames herself. She's oh. like, oh, did I do something wrong? And I'm like, 
do I say yes because then it'll be plausible or maybe <laughs> you just touched it a little bit so yeah oh, fuck I don't know hmm. so that's the most stressful thing now I'm changing okay. my previous answer <laughs> yes moving the elf is cash or a voucher an acceptable gift uh, once you're over 18 frankly it should be mandatory is there a Christmas song or movie that you cannot stand? All I want for Christmas is you. <laughs> you love it, but you hate it. I get it. I just, nothing else is really coming to mind. I know that there's Merry Christmas, everyone. I mean, I used to be very Grinchy and now I'm sort of like, oh, fuck off, Grinchies. Just, just try and enjoy it as much as you can. And so, look, I don't listen to any of that sort of stuff. It's, it's not really my thing. But I've also got to a particular age where I'm also like, look, I'm not going to piss on anyone else's firework. Mm-hmm. I think that's the, that's the nice way to be. All right. So that's the end of the questions. Now it's a quick fire either or around. Sure. So you've got no prompting on this one. Mm-hmm. It is, all right, turkey or ham? Ham. Carols by Candlelight or Carols in the Domain? Neither. You can say neither. That's fine. Sure. Mariah Carey or Michael Bublé? Mariah. Three for three on Mariah. I like it. Yeah. MCG Test or the Sydney Hobart Yoros? Oh, the MCG test. Milk and cookies or beer and carrots? Uh, fucking neither, but I guess the milk. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I can have the milk still. All right. Father Christmas or Santa Claus? Santa. Up early or sleep in? Yeah, I'm a father, so the, I don't get to sleep in. <laughs> mm-hmm. Gift wrap or bag? Well, yeah, again, I've got kids, so it's gift wrapped. Everything's yeah. got to be wrapped. All right. Movies, Elf or the Santa Claus? Uh, not seen the Santa Claus. Maybe it's fucking great. But you know what? Can't be as good as Elf. <laughs> Nightmare Before Christmas or a Muppet Christmas Carol? Uh, I haven't seen the Muppet Christmas Carol, although it is on the list. It's on the list. But no, it's Nightmare Before Christmas because I'm a, you know, I mean, look at me. I'm wearing black. I'm a goth. Okay. Fair enough. Home Alone or Gremlins? Fucking Gremlins. Every day and twice on Sundays. Bad Santa or Jingle All The Way? It's Jingle All The Way, the Arnie movie. Yeah. Yeah, it's bad Santa. Uh, Love Actually or The Christmas Prince? The what? It's you made that last one up. No, there's three of them on Netflix. Is there? It's about a journalist who goes and meets a prince, like a Den- like almost the prince of Denmark, falls in love. Uh, <laughs> look, it, <laughs> I used to, like, by the sound of things, I would just dismiss them. I don't do that anymore. But, you can, this one. But, yeah, I'm, I'm going to dismiss that. And look, this is going to outrage probably most of your audience. I actually think Richard Curtis is uh, one of the great writers and Love Actually is ridiculously good for what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so Love Actually. Okay. All right. Well, I think... We actually, s- not just for what it is. It's great, period. The end. Okay. Fuck you, Grinches. <laughs> All right. So that's... I think we've, fun- we, we, we've got your gist we got mm. your Christmas. Mm. We know what you are. Mm. So what did you bring to the party? When I said to you, bring something Christmassy that we can talk about, a TV show or a movie, what did we bring? It was very tempting to bring Shane Black's entire oeuvre, but Iron I didn't. Iron Man 3. Yeah, Iron Man 3. I mean, all of his movies, like Long Kiss Goodnight and The Last Boy Scout and, yeah, all of them. But mm. it's kind of cheating. Like, all of these people, wankers, frankly, who go, is Die Hard a Christmas movie? I'm like... No, it's not. It's an action movie and don't be fucking stupid. Don't be fucking stupid. It's not a Christmas movie. Just because something's set at Christmas doesn't <coughs> make it a Christmas movie. So what I've brought, yes. having now, you know, hopefully caused a lot of controversy. <laughs> this is not my podcast. I don't have to be here for the cleanup. That's all on you. Yeah. Um, right. No one listens. That's perfect. Well, even better. <laughs> uh, I've brought the Doctor Who Christmas special, A Christmas Carol. From 2010, I think we just figured out it was. We did figure that out, yes. It was 2010. So Doctor Who came back in 2005, which frankly was Christmas all coming at once for me. And look, we don't really do this in Australia, but there's a long tradition in the UK of Christmas specials, Mm -hmm. particularly for ongoing shows. So again, I've not really watched a lot of them, but... You know, they would have like a Christmas special that they'll show at Christmas. And they tend to be different... Um, and people have said, like, you have, you can't just write them the same way that you would a normal episode of the show because they're saying, here's the thing, you know, I mean, 
I don't know if Minder ever did a Christmas version. They probably did. Probably. Well, we watched, we talked about, in episode two of this season, we talked about Porridge, and there were two episodes of Porridge. Mm. There were Christmas episodes, and I think they were double lengths. Yeah, they yeah. They were like a longer episode than normal. Yeah, yeah. And the idea is that, you know, your audience is, it's going to be a family audience. They're all going to be sitting around watching it, so you can't be too edgy. So Doctor Who, had, they'd done one Christmas episode previously, and it was quite notorious. That was back in 1960. Oh, so this is the first of the Christmas episodes? No, 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 no. Oh, okay. So the first one was in 1966, mm-hmm. um, and notoriously ends with the first Doctor breaking the fourth wall, mm-hmm. Mitch, and saying a Merry Christmas to all of you at home. And then they never, ever did another Christmas episode ever again until Russell T. Davis brought it back. Okay. And then he did, oh, what did he do, four Frankly, I mean, he talked about it in the pre-publicity. He was going, you know, Christmas episodes, they should be Christmassy. I hate it when there's just an episode with just some tinsel in the background. Mm -hmm. I'm looking at you, Die Hard. You know, where, you know, it's got a few Christmassy trappings, but it's not really Christmassy. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, he had robot Santas that were trying to kill people. I'm like, yeah, look, I see what you're doing, but I'm not convinced. And he did, what was it, two or three or four of those? And they were all okay. And, like, they're super broad because, again, he's there going, I know that there are people who are going to be watching this who might not otherwise be fans, and hopefully they'll still have a good time. Yeah. Stephen Moffat takes over. He did one year. was probably the best year of Doctor Who, pound for pound. And then he did his first... That was with David Tennant? The first uh, year. His first year that he did on his own yes. as the showrunner was with Matt Smith. Oh, okay. Yeah, so this one that we have watched about an hour ago... Mm-hmm. Uh, that was the first one that they did, and it was Matt Smith's first one, and frankly, it was also the best one. Yeah, because I remember there was a Kylie Minogue one, wasn't it? That was a Christmas episode, wasn't it? Yeah, that was one of Russell's. Yeah. You see what I mean? It mm. wasn't very Christmassy, was it? No, it was just set on Christmas Day. Yeah. yeah. And it was about, yeah. I mean, funnily enough, it was about a crashing spaceship, and, you know, the Doctor has to save everybody, which is kind of the, you know, the... Plot of this one, well, yeah, the MacGuffin, yeah, yeah, it's the sort of thing that kicks the plot off. Um, do we need to recap the plot for the viewers? Uh, quickly, I suppose we could. Okay, there's a ship. It's crashing. It's very, very complicated. But what happens is somebody on the surface of the planet controls the sky. No, I'm not going to explain all of that. Yes. But he controls the sky. The Doctor says, "Hey, this ship is crashing. You could actually let them land." But the guy is basically Scrooge. Yes. Hence the Christmas Carol thing. And the whole thing is a big riff on the Scrooge story, which is the idea that you've got somebody who's a prick Mm -hmm. and through the course of the story, being visited by ghosts of the past, the present and the future, he becomes a better person and thereby allows the the disaster to be... And obviously Doctor Who being a time-travelling show, he could be the ghost, you know, control the ghost. Yeah. Future, past and present. Correct. Yeah. And it's, yeah, that's the thing, just sort of watching it again. Like I said, when Russell was doing his Doctor Who Christmas things, they're quite broad. They don't really hold a lot of water in terms of plot logic, if that's something that you care about. Um, but they're big and they're spectacular and, you know, they're, they're just, they're entertaining for their own sake. This is a lot more intricate and, frankly, a lot better. It's still ridiculously entertaining because, I mean, I said this while we were watching it, how many other shows can you watch where you're watching somebody harnessing a shark to a sleigh and flying through the sky? Yeah. Um, no, no, I mean, the start of the episode, it's very much a Star Trekky kind of ship that's crashing yeah. down. And then it immediately, so it's like... So steampunk Victorian England... Planet. Yeah, yeah. Because it's not meant to be Earth, is it? It's just no, a Victorian no, yeah. looking it's, yeah, planet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's somebody once said, and I think it's the best definition of it Doctor Who is not a science fiction show. What the TARDIS is, it doesn't move you around in time and space, although, yes, that's what it does. But what it does, it's a machine for traveling between genres. Mm. So, you know, it could be a Western one week, it could be a horror movie the next week, it could be something else again. So, watching this one in particular, it's like. It starts off as a Star Trek thing, and it's sort of saying this is what Star Trek is like, but only Doctor Who can save this particular, mm-hmm. you know, this particular situation. So he turns up, uh, the Doctor comes down the chimney. Captain Kirk would never do that. No. For a start, he wouldn't fit down the chimney. And I love his justification for coming down the chimney. He goes, it's Christmas night. I saw a chimney. I just couldn't help myself. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, that's... 
I mean, that's the other thing. You're watching this just going, this is, I mean, Stephen Moffat comes from farce. He comes from comedy. And the way he approaches Doctor Who is very much setting up this machinery of comedy that also works really well dramatically. And so you're just watching set up, pay off, set up, pay off, and just so many brilliant jokes like that one. Um, but it's also the way the story works. I mean, the the term that everybody uses about Stephen Moffat is timey-wimey, but I remember we were watching it and there's a bit where the Doctor is watching, for lack of a better word, the villain, the Scrooge character, mm-hmm. Kazran, who's played... By Dim- Dumbledore. Yeah, by yeah, not Richard Harris. That would be a coup, yeah. uh, but no, by Michael Gambon. And there's this absolutely perfect moment where Michael Gambon is watching a videotape of himself as a child, and he's watching it. And then the doctor appears behind him and he says, "Oh, I turned this on," and it's being projected up on yep. the wall. And he walks over to the wall and he goes through the door, and the door, the projection of the the younger version of the Scrooge character, it's like he's literally opened a door into his head and then gone back into his memory. The old character is still watching the videotape, like the TARDIS is on the other side mm-hmm. of the door, so he just warps back in time. But it's instantaneous. He suddenly pops through the window behind the kid. And you just, and like, in the meantime, that he's, and he's actually talking to the older character going, I know you're probably just about to have some new memories. It'll feel a little bit weird. But just go with it. And the whole point of the story is, I mean, most Doctor Who is about, you know, it's about beating up or blowing up bad people. Mm -hmm. This is about a bad person, but the Doctor decides, whether it's because it's Christmas or whatever, he's going to make him a nicer person. So he will allow this ship to land and not crash. And he's going to do it in a nice way. And I think as I get older you realise that there's a form of drama that's very easy, which is it's all about conflict. And Doctor Who's very much about that. It's like you turn up, there's the people wearing the black hats, there's the people wearing the white hats. The Doctor is obviously the person wearing the white hat. And you beat up or you blow up the bad guy or you punch them until you stop twitch until they stop twitching. And that's, you know, it can be very, very satisfying. I know why that works. But it's easy. Yeah. What's really difficult is to say, okay, here's the pitch for Doctor Who. He's going to create an hour's worth of drama and comedy by being terribly nice and trying to make somebody a nicer person and using the Scrooge story, which is very much about a person who's spiritually dead, getting him to be spiritually resurrected by the end of that. And, I mean, that was the thing, like watching a Doctor Who's not an especially spiritual show but you can't help but watch this. And actually, Russell was very aggressively atheist. Like, all of the trappings that he likes about Christmas, it's about Santa, it's about the presents, it's about, you know, all the accoutrements yeah. that have sort of grown around, you know, the the birth of Jesus story. There's segments in this, like, where the people are literally singing Christmas carols for their lives. Now, there's plot reasons for this, but they're singing Silent Nights, and there's the line that, Frankly, I don't really remember, but they're talking about the the Christ child has come and all that sort of stuff. And I'm sort of watching it going, wow, Jesus doesn't usually get a look in on Doctor Who. But there's a reason why they're using it here, because, I mean, the whole point in Christianity of the birth of Christ is the idea that there's a redeemer. There's somebody who will forgive your sins, who will make you a better person. Mm -hmm. And without getting too highfalutin about it, Again, that plays into the Scrooge story, which Dickens would have been riffing on as well. And Moffat's riffing on Dickens, who's riffing on the Bible. And, yeah, it's it's kind of dizzying. Again, like, you're watching it as a writer. You're just watching it going, how is he being this complicated that you can follow it? Like, you know, my daughter watched it with us. And I don't know that she's picking up on every single plot point. But, you know, there's a scary shark. (laughs) There's the bit where they are flying through the air and the shark is pulling the sleigh. And she's just clapping and going, yay, we don't have reindeer, but we have sharks. And you're just watching it going, yeah, that's an amazing image, isn't it? You know, just the imagination that's just been poured into this. This might be a little bit controversial, but it it was never that good before in Doctor Who and it will never be quite that good again. And I think it's because it's a show that just 
eats imagination. Yeah. I think Moffat has actually said that if you do 45 minutes of Doctor Who, you've pretty much burned a whole feature film idea just because you just burn through so much, if you're doing it right. Okay, so you, you are a big Doctor Who fan. That's how I met you. Has anybody, do you think that's come know, across? But so, so you were a fan before the reboot. I was. You were a big fan. You watched it on the ABC like all of us. Yes. Did as a thing, but you, yes. you read all the books as well. Yes. That's where you followed through. So this is... This is peak Doctor Who for you, or do you do you like classic better? In the two eras of Doctor Who, where would you put um, your fandom, or, see, or does it change as you grow? It does change. So I feel like it's that scene in Wayne's World where they're talking about Star Trek: Next Generation versus the original. They go, uh, and you know they're comparing it to I think it's New Coke or whatever it is. They're going in many ways, Star Trek: Next Generation is superior, but it will never quite be the same mm. as the original. Uh, I feel that that's basically true. I actually think that the new Doctor Who, when it's at its best, it is the best. Yeah. But the thing is, because old Doctor Who, it's hardwired into my childhood and my like the the wasted life that you have when you're a fan. Mm-hmm. But like, there are still vast swathes of Doctor Who where I can just recite bits of dialogue or recite bits of prose from books that I just read over and over again. When something is that deep-rooted in you, it has a different hold on you. Like, I, Look, I think A Christmas Carol, I've just been extolling how great it is. I've seen it maybe three times, mm-hmm. maybe, whereas... Those older episodes of Doctor Who, when I was a you know a teenager, um, you know I've seen them countless times. I shudder to think how many times. Okay. So it's different. Yeah, because I mean I'm watching this again. It's like twelve years we worked out. It's been since mm. this aired, mm. and I remember that period of Doctor Who was exciting. Mm. It was great. Mm. Um, Matt Smith was fantastic, and like you said, the humour and. Just everything about it seemed to gel perfectly. His companion, mm. Amy Pond, was fantastic. And it just worked. It sort mm. of, it got to that level. It grew to that level where this is how it should be now. Mm. You know, they've tested the water. They've figured it out. I've dropped off. Like, mm. we've just had a whole run of Jodie Whittaker as mm. Doctor Who, which I have not watched at all. Mm. I watched the first episode and it just didn't grab me. Mm. And it was the Peter Capaldi era sort of contributed to that. Mm. Like, it just wasn't that fun. And going back to this and watching it again, it's like, yeah, I did love this. Mm. It was that much fun. And, yeah, yeah. and when you're saying that they kill creative, well, you know, they burn people out. They burn yeah. people out. And to do a show for that long like Russell did or whatever, to keep it at, at a level for mm. that long is pretty impressive. It's crushing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, it's... I think the phrase... Like, people sort of talk in pop music. They talk about, you know, their imperial phase. So, like, Madonna in the 80s and the early 90s, mm. where she could literally do no wrong, it seemed. Or the, you know, my personal favourite is the Pet Shop Boys. Like, they hit a particular point in the 80s where they were just making a perfect kind of smart aleck kind of pop. Yep. Uh, and all bands have that. They have a point where they reach their their height and they may still be good afterwards, but it's downhill to mm. some degree. And, I mean, look, if we're talking Christmas episodes, yeah, this is the Imperial phase. It's come off a, a great year. It's not perfect by any means, but it was a great year. Like, I think the casting of Matt Smith is kind of inspired, particularly when you realise that, you know, they were looking for somebody older. He was effectively looking for Peter Capaldi. He said, no, no, I'm not looking at anybody who is under 40. Mm-hmm. And then this kid walks in who's 26. Wow. I'd never been older than Doctor Who before. <laughs> <laughs> and everybody sort of talks about it. Like a lot of people in the 80s with Peter Davison, like he was 29, I think, when he got the part. But, you know, he comes in and he's the whole package. And I've seen him, like the thing is, I think he's a great actor. I've seen him do other stuff and he's great in that too. But he's like Tom Baker in that he is a perfect Doctor Who, in that he is, and that was the other thing I was thinking watching it, is adults have an idea of what Doctor Who show when it's good and they want it to talk to them as an adult and they will if you give them too much rope they will exclude the kids they'll be like i want you to get rid of all the silly bits of doctor who and make it more like star trek and you see this in all kinds of franchises like people who earnestly want star wars 
to be frankly like Rogue One. They want it to be this desperate story of... And they're going, look, it is that, but it's also a story about space wizards. And Doctor Who, at bottom, is a it's a series about a man with two hearts travelling in time and space in a police box. And because it's a machine that travels between genres, there's always going to be variation. There's always going to be variation in the kinds of story. And, I mean, that's the thing. Like, most people really, if you prick them with a pin, this is old school Doctor Who, they want Doctor Who to be scary. And they do want it to be funny, but they don't want it to be silly. Mm. And the thing is, it's fundamentally... Look, this is blasphemy, but it's Christmas, so let's go. Doctor Who is fundamentally silly. It is, but it has to be the right kind of silly. So watching something like this where Matt Smith is simultaneously a child and who can talk to children, and that's the whole point of this story, is that he goes back in time and he's talking to this kid trying to make him a better person from the start so that when he gets old and desiccated and frankly like he's a Doctor Who fan, yeah. yeah, he's going to save the spaceship. It's about, and that's, I love that optimism and I love that you want to make somebody better, not by, and I mean, the thing is, it does take some darker turns. Like they actually say to him, look, we've tried being nice to you and it didn't actually work. Mm. And then they sort of say, look, here are the people that you're condemning to death, which is a pretty dark thing to do and also there's this ongoing thread of you know this girl that he comes to love and the idea is that you know she'll redeem him because oh well you know nobody ever loved him so essentially the doctor plays matchmaker but that doesn't work either in the same way like it gets him some way there but you realize that he's becoming scrooge and he is hoarding her days because he's She's she's dying, so she she can come out every Christmas and have an amazing Christmas, and they keep trying to top it. Mm. She says to him at one point, "You're hoarding my days like a miser hoards gold," and I'm just like, "Yeah." See, this is a really, really, really clever, really, really clever. It's like a crystal in that it's jokes, drama, character, and it's being sketched so fast. Like these aren't particularly deep characters, but you get them immediately. And when they have their emotional turns, they work. And to me, that's a thing. Like, I mean, there are episodes, there, there are stories of Doctor Who that run for 12 episodes, 10 episodes, 14 episodes, and they're almost all not very good. To be able to tell a story like this, which has got so much scope, like emotionally and, you know, in terms of ambition, and it's all over in an hour. And the beauty of this, and you called it when we were watching it, is you've got Michael Gambon. Mm. So he's a credited actor. Mm. Like, mm-hmm. And in England, this would happen, mm. where they would have fond memories of Doctor Who growing up. Mm-hmm. So if someone comes to you and says, oh, we can do a Christmas episode, we want you. Because mm. there's plenty of episodes of Doctor Who where there's some actors in there going, you're not very good, are you? Um, <laughs> what? Yeah. Yeah. So the fact that you've got someone of that calibre coming into these shows, you've got Toby Jones in episodes, you've got this mm. and that. So you've got Hollywood. You've got Timothy Dalton. You've got, yeah, particularly in the new series, it's ridiculous. Yeah, so, you, so this is a Christmas episode, so it's a big deal. Mm. So you're going to spend a little bit more money. And even the special effects on this, I didn't mm. realise how good it looked. Like mm. when the shark swims up to them, like mm. this flying shark, mm. it's like, that's actually really good. I remember being really crap. Those farting monsters in the first season. Yeah, was, yeah, yeah. You know, this is five seasons later, they got better. Mm. But um, it's like, oh, this, this looks good. But yeah, he's acting. And there's a bit where he's, so you're getting this adventure with, Doctor Who and the child going around time and space, mm. having New Year's Eve, going to parties at you know in Hollywood, and him getting engaged to Marilyn Monroe because <laughs> that's what happens. Um, so you've of course got it does. Michael Gambon watching all these or having these memories, mm. and he's creating new memories. He's going through this box, and there's new photos appearing of his history that he's creating these new memories of. Mm. So, like you said, he's acting to no one. It's yeah, literally yeah. him reacting to photos, and he, he can do that. Because you've got a good actor doing that. And this show brought those people into this. Kind of cuts both ways. Like, if you're going to get Michael Gambon, he's not just going to turn up for spit and cough. I mean, he might have fond memories of Doctor Who, but he's going to be like, what's the part? You know, I'm Mm -hmm. not going to just turn up for that. Because he's, frankly, he's too old Mm. and too good. He's like, I'm not going to get out of bed unless this is worth me doing it. And it's sort of cutting the other way too in that, as you just said, like a lot of this is mostly him... Or, you know, the middle section of the story is mostly him reacting to the videotape diary that his younger self has made, which he's watching on playback. Or he's looking at these new photographs, which are the memories. 
and he's talking to himself, which is always a bit dodgy mm. in anything. Um, but because he's Michael Gambon and because it's written the way it is and because he's going on this journey, it works and it works beautifully. I mean, yeah, it could very easily not have. I mean, he's playing it very broad, but the thing is he knows he's playing Scrooge. Yeah. He's playing a type and he knows that he's only got 60 minutes, you know. It's not Lawrence of Arabia, but it's it's a beautiful performance. And, I mean, look, like I said, do I... Doctor Who 2005, the new version, it, it doesn't sit in my bones the way the old one does. But when it's great, it's really great. It's better than the old series. And you it, you can't really deny that. Just because it's it's so much funnier, it's so much more emotional, it's so much more intricate. I mean, you know, they fuck up just as badly. And like you said, it's funny how production goes. Like, I'm a... Obviously, I'm a Doctor Who fan, so I can look past the sort of special effects, the fact that they were shooting it all basically like a game of footy. Mm-hmm. It was basically live in a very small studio, and the you know they're literally doing that. I remember somebody once making a joke about the BBC making Zulu, the movie. You know, if they did it, it would be two blokes in a tent just looking at it, going, "Geez, there's thousands of Zulus out there." <laughs> Doctor Who did that a lot in the '80s and the '70s and the '60s, frankly, but. When they came back, they had a lot of money, and all of a sudden you thought, oh, finally it's going to look like what it did in my head. Mm -hmm. And you realise, like, I went back and I watched the Eccleston stuff recently with my daughter, and I'm like, oh, this CGI is actually a bit, oh, it's 2005. To be fair, they get better, and they get better at realising how to make a show like that. But it's still, you know, it's not the Avengers. It's not, you know, they're not spending $200 million on this. It's, you know, people expect it to kind of compete because it's, you know, people always put franchises up against each other. But for me, it's just, it's the imagery. It's the fact that, you know, you've got a bloke who can, I mean, they sing to a shark and it likes it, Mitch. Like, it's mental. (laughs) And I'm just sitting there watching it going, fuck, I'm going with this. If I was watching this at another point, I mean, I might be like, what is this shit? Yeah, it did work. Like, you got you that moment because the singing, you, you, you hear it before you see it. Mm. And I thought it was part of the, the music to the mm. show. Mm. And, you know, the camera pans back around the characters and there's this so, this lady singing to this shark, yep. soothing it. It's like, <laughs> oh, no, she's singing. Okay. Yeah. Um, and it becomes a major plot point in it. And mm. there was a lot of Christmas stuff they bought in. There was a lot of Scrooge or the mm. Christmas Carol he bought in too. Like, mm. they, they played with the time a bit, as in the Coast of Christmas Present, you sort of you started with, and he was sort of almost the Marley character saying, "This is what you got to do," mm. and then it's like, "All right," I'm, and he's talking to Amy Bond, who's on the ship, mm. and there's background. You can hear the Christmas carols singing. Mm. And it's like, "What's that noise?" It's like a Christmas carol, and then he gets the, that look on his face, like, "There's my plot. Mm. <laughs> I'm going to do a Christmas carol to him." So it's an active thing where he's like, "I'm going to Scrooge this guy." Yeah, yeah. So he's like, all right, I'm going to go back and be the ghost of Christmas. So you're seeing the ghost of Christmas past and you're getting that reminiscent mm. thing. And you even get the ghost of Christmas present where they go and visit this woman they keep taking out of cryogenic mm. freeze. They go and visit her family. Mm. And it's like, oh, and that did, took me ages to realize this. And because, you, like you said, spoilers, she was dying. Mm. It's like, it's freaking Tiny Tim. Of course it is. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's like, oh, and she's gone to visit the family and they go to the Cratchit family and they have their Christmas fucking dinner on, on um, Christmas Day. It's like, oh, there's that. And the Christmas future, they sort of, they didn't really play with that a lot, but oh, he was did. essentially by the start of it, he was there. The, the Christmas future thing is where I think, like sometimes you watch a piece of writing and most writing is not like this, but when everything all clicks together, mm-hmm. I d- all writing doesn't have to be like this. I mean, you know, I'm a massive David Lynch fan. If it doesn't make sense, if it's David Lynch, then it's fine. I'll yep. go with it. But when you watch something like this that is so intricately put together and when – like I've I've never read A Christmas Carol. I, I know what it is though because it's one of those stories. When you realise that, you know, he's done the Christmas – Ghost of Christmas Past and Present and you're like, well, what's going to be the Ghost of Christmas Future? And you realise that all of their gambits so far – have not worked. And he's like, so what's the ghost of Christmas future? And he's like, well, and then he turns around and he's brought the little boy and you realise that the old guy, Scrooge, is the ghost of Christmas future. 
looking back to his younger self and all of a sudden all of the emotional dominoes just fall down just so and all the plot dominoes fall down just so at the same time and you're like fuck I wish I could write that well and like you said with the, the directors there's no auteur directors in Doctor Who and like a lot of TV you <laughs> no. don't get a lot of that and the budget's no. not there either no. so and that shows the beauty of this writing mm. that it's written within an inch of its life Mm. so just point the camera it's written for you don't mm. worry we've written it down just mm. put the camera in the right direction and focus give the director credit though uh if i came to you with my script mm-hmm. and said right so we're going to be doing a christmas carol that's going to be set on an alien planet and there are fish that fly around in the <laughs> fog and we can affect their emotions with singing to them and at one point we're going to harness a shark to a sleigh and we're going to be... Like, the director would be looking at you going, yeah, uh-huh, right, okay, we're going to do it. Sure, sure, we're going to do all of that, are we? One of the things that people don't talk about with directors, like, people always go, oh, did you see that amazing shot? Like, the amount of people who think direction is fucking Martin Scorsese doing that shot in Goodfellas where it's all one shot going into the Copacabana. Mm-hmm. No, it's not. It's, it, yeah, it's the shots, it's performance, but the main thing that a director does, if a movie works or it doesn't, and this is why people like David Lynch and the Coen brothers, for example, are master directors. It's about tone. So when you are get and Doctor Who does this all the time, like, I look back on some of the episodes, I'm like, hang on, so they did an episode with the Abominable Snowman, and that was in Tibet. That's about where you'd expect to meet the Yeti, right? Mm-hmm. But they did a sequel where the Yeti invaded the London underground and they were firing web guns at people. And there was this web that was just, you know, sucking people in. And they're going, okay, uh, now, if you did that story today, you would probably do it with, like, a spider in the underground mm-hmm. or you would do the Yeti in the underground, but you wouldn't worry about the webs. But you're just like... There's that level of extra bonkersness. And when you watch it, it works. It's fine. But if the director hasn't sort of said, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. So we can't do this like a documentary. We can't do this like Star Trek. We have to get exactly the right tone. And, I mean, that's the thing. You're watching Michael Gambon, who is giving quite a big performance. You're watching Matt Smith, who is giving frankly a mercurial performance like he's big but he's very very small when he needs to be you've got the the supporting characters who have to be the right kind of bland because you've got two big characters you don't want everybody Mm -hmm. else being big all of that sort of thing the director has to be able to modulate all of that to make sure that it all works it all pays off and you're not sitting there sort of i mean the fact that she's dying like that could be a real tonal misstep in a in an episode like this, which is so funny, mm. if you have that sort of dark twist into it, it could just be, you'd be like, oh, oh, oh. Because, I mean, it's quite well done in that it's established early, subtly, that she's dying. Yes. And the doctor doesn't know, and mm. the kid doesn't know. No. We know as an audience. Yes. And you're sort of, and it's that Hitchcockian thing. It's like, mm. you're waiting. It's like, yeah, oh, yeah. this isn't going well. Mm. You know, they're having too much fun. Yeah, it's yeah. Like, you're waiting for the other shoe to drop. And the thing is, like, They never say what it is. And actually, you know, the beautiful thing is that they don't save her. She's the one person in the story that Mm. they don't save. Like, they save Kazran slash Scrooge's soul. They save all of the people who are crashing. They can't save the one person who actually, in the end, is the one who saves everyone. Yeah, yeah, because she can sing. And But, I mean, she also says, you know, I'm choosing to do this. Yeah. Um, I mean, look, that's a very Stephen Moffat thing too. I mean, you know, when you're a Doctor Who fan and when you start to notice that, you know, the auteur theory that you have with directors, with Doctor Who, it's like writers. Some people have this idea that writers, if they repeat themselves, that they're doing something wrong or they're, you know, oh, you're just doing such and such, but a little bit different. And the thing is, Nobody really looks at Shakespeare and goes, oh, he's done another bloody thing about kings. Oh, for fuck's sake. Oh, another bloody tragedy where everybody, eh, whatever. Hamlet, you fucking hack. No one does that. And, you know, when you watch Dennis Potter, you just realise that you're watching, and this is what writers do. It's like you're turning something around and you're going, all right, it's the same thing, but I'm going to show it to you from a different angle or with a different light on it. All of his stuff is about how... It's difficult to let go of things emotionally, 
but sooner or later everything ends. Mm. Um, he's always looking at the way people are always a snapshot of a moment in time. Like I'm just aware that, you know, we are not the same men that did our podcast. No, no we're not. And some would say for the better. I'd say so. Um, but that's the thing. And partic- I mean, he will do it later on with Matt Smith and he will do it, you know, because there are different incarnations of the Doctor. They used to do that basically as an anniversary gimmick. But when they do it under Stephen Moffat, you're looking at somebody who used to be broken, somebody who was still dealing with the PTSD of being broken, and somebody who's got over it. And that's a really nice way of looking at someone and saying, you are right now just a moment in time. You are not the person that you were seven years ago. I mean, there's that old sore about, you know, every seven years, every cell in your body is replaced. Mm -hmm. I don't even know if that's true, but it's a beautiful image. So you are not the same person you were seven years ago and you're not going to be the same person seven years from now, which is actually one of the other things. Like we watched Doctor Who with my daughter. I said to her, did you want to stay up? I mean, we've got dirty Uncle Mitch here. You know, I know that that's a bit of a drag, but, you know, mm-hmm. do you? And she was like, yeah, I'd like to watch it. And what's been great, I did watch Doctor Who and frankly, I was Scrooge. You know, the new stuff, I was, you know... I was harder to impress. I was like, oh, that didn't make any sense. Or, oh, that's a bit of a shit CGI shot. And then I was watching it with her and you watch it and she's like, I used to get a real hair shirt about, you know, I don't think you should just keep bringing back the same thing over and over again. I don't think you should get obsessed with continuity. And part of me still feels like that. But watching it with her, she's like, she just gets excited when the TARDIS turns up. Mm-hmm. She gets excited when the Doctor turns up, and he's funny. You know, when she sees the shadow of a Dalek before the Dalek turns up, she's not like, oh, not the fucking Daleks again. She's like, Dad, Dad, it's the Daleks. Yeah, yes. oh, look, we watched bloody... We went to Shang-Chi, um, the Marvel movie. Frankly, not their finest hour, mm. but it really taught me a good lesson because, you know... Doctor Strange's offside of Wong. Yeah. He turns up for like a scene and Molly's turned to me and her face just lit up. She's like, Dad, Dad, it's Wong. And I'm like, who gives a... You give a fuck. Yep. Yeah, you know what? Now I give a fuck. Mm-hmm. It's good. You know what? Do it. And watching Doctor Who now, vicariously through somebody who can feel joy, that's a beautiful thing. That's the way I want to watch Doctor Who. That, frankly, that's the way I want to watch everything. Um, so I'm gonna. I don't think I can sum this up any. I think that's a bit. perfect way to end. So yeah, I'm yeah. gonna thank you for that, and thank you for coming on the show. And you have yourself a merry Christmas. I will, and the same to you. Thank you. <laughs>